You're listening to Church on the Park Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. This morning is entitled, Do Not Be Deceived. Do not be deceived. And this is number six in Metamorphosis, The Way of Transformation. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we read Matthew 24, 4 through 14. And I'm reading from the NIV version this morning. Matthew chapter 24, 4 through 14. We read this last week. We're going to be developing it more this week. So let me begin. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And the end, then the end will come. And then the end will come. If you can put your hands on your hearts, please, and pray with me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart. Let's pray with some conviction here. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart. Transform my life in your precious name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Father, I'm praying that you would bless and kiss this word, that you would give me your words, that you would realign us with the truth, and that you would help us to guard from being misled or deceived. In Jesus' name, amen. The theme this morning is this. You can guard yourself against deception by following the safeguards the Scripture lays out. You can guard yourself against deception by following the safeguards the Scripture lays out. In the Olivet Discourse, which we started reading from in the beginning here, Jesus repeatedly warns us to watch out for deception. If you listen carefully, you heard him say it over and over. The original language's word picture 
is that of being taken off track. So the word picture of deception, and this is why some translations translate it as misled, is the picture is of being taken off track, of wandering. In other words, it's veering from the straight and narrow way of Jesus. Remember on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Jesus said, straight and narrow is the way, and few will find it. I may read from that very soon. Actually, let's read from it now. Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now let me just start off in saying, I want you to be the few that find it. And I want you to be the few that stay on that narrow, small, that small gate and that stay on that narrow way. The other picture Scripture paints about deception is something that captures or ensnares us. In other words, it's a trap. Something that traps us, it ensnares us, and we can't get free from it. So we have the idea of wandering and veering off the track either veering to the left or to the right, or the idea of being captured by a snare, trapped. The way seems right, but it ends in death. That's what happens with regards to being misled. The way seems right to us, but it ends in death. So how can you keep from wandering from the truth? So today I want to give you seven safeguards to guard you against deception. And I made an infographic for it, but you can look at it uh, near the end of the message. That will be probably best. And this is what it looks like. Uh, How, you can see over there, there's the cartoon face of the guy. How can you know it's God? Seven safeguards against deception. I've been working on this one for a few weeks now, or maybe my whole life, (laughs) and it's just compiled in the infographic now. But you can find it at brisbanefire.com slash infographics, and you can access it near the end of the message. The first point I want to bring out this morning is do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. So the fact that Jesus warns us over and over with regards to the last days, do not be deceived, means it is very possible to be deceived. And during the last days, there's such a multiplication of deception out there. Over four specific times in Matthew 24, Jesus warns us not to be deceived. And again, it could be translated as deceived, misled, or to go astray. Now, why? does he warn us so many times about this? Because as we get closer to the end of this age, there's an increase of lawlessness. And I'm going to define what lawlessness is very soon. I 
talked about it last week. But before getting there, 1 John 2.18. So John, the apostle John, wrote a letter, this, his first letter. Chapter 2, verse 18 says this. Children, it is the last hour. I want us to say it is the last hour together. It is the last hour. So here's John the Apostle saying, children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. So here John is talking about an Antichrist coming, which can mean two things. An Antichrist is someone that is against Christ, or someone that comes to appear like the Christ, like Jesus, to bring salvation. And he, he says the Antichrist is coming, but even now many Antichrists have appeared. Now this is written around 2,000 years ago. And around 2,000 years ago, John tells us that it is the last hour. So again, we need to watch out of thinking that some great global event is ushering in the last hour. No, the last hour was ushered in, and the greatest sign is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus was the sign of the beginning of the last days and is coming as well. So we've been in the last days for a long time, and so there needs to be a paradigm shift in our mind that we are in this time right now, the last hour, and we have to live appropriately. And not think that our generation is experiencing something worse than other generations have. There is an increase of wickedness, but if you look throughout history, every generation has had great challenges. But as we go closer to the end, there's increase of wickedness. And so maybe we could say, yes, we are going through some greater challenges. But nothing here in our day and hour should totally surprise us. We should not be shocked or afraid. Now, here John is telling us it is the last hour. Now, realize this is written from God's perspective. From our perspective, it looks like Christ's coming is taking a long time. But from God's perspective, a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. That's what Peter talks about in 2 Peter 3.8. So what is lawlessness? He, Jesus says that we need to watch out for deception because of the increase of lawlessness Lawlessness means breaking away from God's teaching and word. His word is the law. His word is the standard. And lawlessness means breaking away from God's teaching and word. And we see this in our society with regards to laws about abortion, euthanasia, and marriage. Especially these are some recent things in Queensland law. But you see this type of lawlessness in the world today. There's many other things we can bring out. 
But it's not just with our laws. It has to do with our inward lives and how we're living. We need to guard our own hearts and thoughts. We can be deceived in areas of unforgiveness, thinking that we have a right to hold a grudge, neglecting fellowship, which I think is a widespread deception in our day of neglecting fellowship and thinking that the church is not important and we can be casual about our gathering together rather than serious and intentional and prayerful. Then we can be deceived in areas of prayerlessness where we are not spending time alone with God as well as a multitude of other things. There's a multitude of ways we can all be led astray. And sometimes when we're thinking about deception, we're always thinking about some other person or some other church. Or it's always out there. But we need to, re Jesus is warning us personally. He's warning you personally. You can be led astray. You can be taken off path. And how? You can be drawn away in your mind and heart. You can be led away by bad teaching and false prophets. You can be deceived in your thoughts, conduct, and beliefs. And often, we are led astray in a small area. And if we don't get back on track in that small area, our whole lives will follow. So we put up with a small thing, and that little leaven leavens a whole lump. That little yeast then spreads. And so we definitely have to catch the little foxes that come to spoil the vine of our intimate relationship with Jesus. Here's the good news. The Bible gives us the warnings and wisdom we need to prevent us from going off of God's way. Therefore, you don't need to be worried or obsessed about deception. But you need to be watchful. And this is what Jesus says. Be careful. See to it that no one misleads you. Watch out that no one deceives you. So we have to be watchful and alert. And this is one of the main things that Jesus tells us about the last days is we need to be watchful and alert and not fall asleep. And then we need to be prepared like the, the virgins with the extra oil. Alert, watchful, vigilant. But notice what I said before that. You don't need to worry or be obsessed about deception. One of the greatest deceptions is being so worried about deception. So you're always so fearful about deception. Oh, is that brother? Is it that one? Who's going to be the Judas? Ah! <laughs> and so we're, we need to be watchful, but realize the word of God gives us all we need to know. So this brings me to the second point, and in this point, I'm going to bring out these safeguards. The two rails that keep the train of your life on track are the Scripture and the Spirit. Amen. Amen. The two rails that keep the train of your life on track, on the straight and narrow track of Jesus on that path, the two rails that keep the train of your life on track are the Scripture and the Spirit. Amen. 
And so that you can understand these two, I made this infographic with seven safeguards against deception. But all these seven safeguards hang on these two things, the Scripture and the Spirit. And I'll list, I'll list the seven things first, and then we'll go through, especially the first two. But in sharing, especially I'm going to share about Samson this morning. In sharing it, uh, that story, you're going to see all of these points played out. So the first thing is, the first safeguard is let Scripture be your standard. The second one is be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The third one is surround yourself with the saints. And I'm not meaning here statues. I'm meaning what the scripture calls saints is God's holy people. That's what we were doing before. And you're doing a good job surrounding yourselves with the saints this morning because you're here. And that needs to be something we live Fourth thing is submit to God and one another. Those two things go together. Submit to God and one another. And I have verses for all of these. You can find them on the infographic. For this one, it's James chapter 4, 7 and Ephesians 5, 21. The fifth thing is seek sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, because sanctification is God's will. What does sanctification mean? It means being made holy. So it's like saying pursue holiness. And one of the areas that we can get deceived in is sin, and we think a light, lightly of sin. When it's God's will for us to be sanctified and holy and live, this, live a sanctified life. And there in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it specifically warns us of sexual sin, sexual immorality. An area where we're going to see Samson fell into as you read his whole story. We're not reading his whole story this morning. We're going to read a part of it. The sixth thing is be sober-minded. 1 Peter 5, 8-9. God has given us a, a mind, and he wants us to be sober-minded. Watch out for extremist and fanatical thinking with regards to this. We are meant to be extreme for Jesus following Jesus with all of our heart. But there is weird, strange, fanatical teaching out there, and you need to watch out for it. So be sober-minded. And Peter says, be sober-minded, watchful, because your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith. That's so what 1 Peter 5, 8-9 through 9 says. And then the last point is what I ended the message with last week is stay close to the shepherd. Because if you stay close to the shepherd, you're going to be protected from the wolves. Stay close to the shepherd. When you're close to the shepherd, he is going to protect you from the wolves out there. And the shepherd is not veering off that narrow path. So our shepherd is Jesus. And we stay close to him by abiding with him. So those are the seven safeguards. But now let me develop, especially the first two. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And I was translating this this week. 
The first point being, let Scripture be your standard. And it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is advantageous for teaching, convicting, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God would be completely, fully equipped for every good work. The second, uh, verse 17, I was just translating from my mind. The, the first part, though, verse 16, I did a fresh translation of that this week, which is all scriptures God breathed and is advantageous for teaching, convicting, correcting, and training in righteousness. So let Scripture be your standard. First and foremost, the Scripture is the standard. And we need to keep going back to that standard and comparing our lives, our ministry, our churches, our thinking back to that standard. And there's no one that is exempt from this. Even though I've been pastoring for what, 22 years? I have to every day keep on going back to the Scripture. Even though I teach the Word, I need to keep on going back to the Scripture because we can easily be led astray by popular thought, opinion, our feelings, our emotions, <laughs> our own fears. We can easily be led astray by these things. Emotions, feelings, hormones, whatever it may be. And this is why we, may, we have to keep on going back to the standard. And this is what we're doing every week as a church. We're coming back to the standard. We're coming back to the word. We're realigning ourselves, as Anna was talking about the cornerstone this morning in worship. Thank you, Anna, for a beautiful job. I was very blessed by your worship. She was talking about the cornerstone and being aligned to the cornerstone. And this is what we're doing every week. But we also need to do it every day in our lives and our families is keep on going back to the Scripture. And when I mean the Scripture, I mean the whole Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and not just a verse taken out of context or a pet doctrine we may have. The Reformation of 1517... It began in 1517 and beyond. That Reformation from 1517 emphasized the truth, sola scriptura. Sola scriptura. Simply put, it means scripture alone. Scripture alone is our standard for knowing God. It's our standard for true faith. It's our standard for how the Lord wants us to live. Scripture alone is the final authority of the church. Scripture alone is higher than me as a pastor. Any pastor that says that it's their authority that is the highest thing, you should run because they're misleading you. The highest authority is Jesus and the Scripture. And if I don't go in alignment with Scripture, use Scripture to argue with me or to discuss with me. And this is the whole way we find the truth. We always go back to the Word of God. The Word is the authority. 
not just what you feel, or I heard this video and that video, and this person said that, and that pastor said that. What does the scripture say? And you've got to know the scripture very well from beginning to end. And different parts of the body of Christ will see different scriptures uniquely, but there is essentials that we all agree on. Like Jesus died and rose again. He has forgiven us and set, set us free from our sins. He has brought us into fellowship with one another. Do we have a question? No? Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Patrick. So scripture alone is the final authority of the church, and this is where we can find safety that no man, no woman, no denomination, a lot of happens with when people get together in a group, you know, and they establish their denomination, and we are the ones who speak the truth. Whoa, you've got to watch out for that. Men have a, when they get together, they have a, they can get into pride where they think that their decrees are more important than the scripture's decrees. And this is what Martin Luther in the Reformation was standing against. The whole Catholic Church went the way of uh, popular opinion and false teaching, and he went back and says, we need to get back to the cornerstone, which is Jesus and which is Scripture. And so in this time where there's so much strange teaching out there, let us get back to the standard of Scripture, and we can find safety and security in the standard of Scripture. And my goal as a pastor is always, let's get back to that cornerstone. And when we debate matters, we don't do it based on popular opinion or pet doctrines, like I said before, but instead on what the Scripture says. And so this is our fate. first safeguard is let Scripture be the standard. This comes up just around the time of uh, Isaiah when Isaiah is saying, uh, do not call everything conspiracy that they call conspiracy. In, I, in that same context, he says in Isaiah uh, verse, chapter 8, verse 19, just after he says that passage that we read a few weeks ago, when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on, the, on behalf of the living? And then he says this, to the law and to the testimony. What is he saying? Go back to the scripture, the law and the testimony. To the law or the, to the teaching and the testimony. And here's the word Torah. To the Torah and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn, no light. So in a time where everybody was saying this and that, Isaiah is saying, let's get back to the word, the scripture. This brings us to the second point, and this is where we're going to kind of focus on for the rest of the message, is be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, what does the Holy Spirit have to do this? 
do with this? Well, the word of God came through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who's faithful to teach us the word. So John 16, 13 says this. And this is Jesus speaking, and this is near here, the last of his days on earth. And he's saying these last words, which are so important for our time we're in right now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. And the Holy Spirit is called by Jesus the spirit of truth. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Did you see that? He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. It goes on to say, he will glorify me. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. He glorifies Jesus. So if Jesus is not being glorified, that's another test that this is not from God. It's an area of deception. He will glorify me. So the Holy Spirit's work is to glorify Jesus and to guide us into all truth. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So again, going back to verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. And this is why my second safeguard that I'm mentioning is be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us the scriptures and guides us into all truth. He's never in conflict with God's word. So if you're hearing something that seems of a spiritual nature or seem, seems like some spirit is speaking to you, if it's not in according with scripture, if it's not in accordance with scripture, if it's not in alignment with scripture, then we know that it's a deceiving spirit. The Holy Spirit is never in conflict with God's word. He's he always speaks in agreement with it and illuminates its truth. Let's look at Samson, Shimshon in Hebrew. <laughs> Shimshon. Uh, his name means sunrise or sunshine. Shimshon. And we're going to look at Samson in the beginning part of his life. His life highlights for good or for bad the importance of the seven safeguards that I'm sharing with you. Samson is a puzzling Bible character. He's an enigma because God is using him at times, and at other times he's being carried away by the flesh. And this can happen to any of us if we do not take seriously these safeguards that I've mentioned. So first, I want to look at how Shimshon, Samson, foreshadows Christ in Judges 14, 1 through 20. So turn over to Judges 14, 1 through 20. And I'll read this story to you. And then we'll talk about it. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah one of the daughters of the Philistines. 
So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife, as an Isha, for those who are studying Hebrew. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her from me, for she looks good to me, or she looks right to me. Verse 4, However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, the young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he tore him as one tears a young goat, though he had nothing in his hands. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. So he went down and talked to the woman, and she looked upright or good to Samson. When he returned later to take her, he turned aside to look at the caucus of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hands and went on eating as he went. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they ate it, but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. Then his father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there, for the young men customarily did this. When they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, let me now propound a riddle to you. If you will indeed tell it to me within seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. But if you're unable to tell me, then you shall give me 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. And then he said to him, propound your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater, something to eat, out of the strong, something sweet. But they could not tell the riddle in three days. So that's our story, and I want to reflect on it this morning. There's two ways to look at it. Again, Samson is quite a puzzling Bible character. But we're going to see how this story foreshadows Jesus. Samson desires a, a Philistinian wife. a Gentile bride, which was not customary and broke God's law regarding intermarriage. But it's telling us that there's a bit something more when it said that his desire for this Philistine wife was of the Lord, which then throws a bit of a surprise at us. The book of Judges makes it clear that his desire for a Gentile bride was from the Lord. Again, this is puzzling, a riddle. How is it from the Lord? Even though Samson is a deeply flawed character, this portion of the story is a picture of Christ. 
Because Jesus came from heaven to earth to seek a bride made up of both Jew and Gentile. And back then the thinking was just for the Jews' salvation. But the purpose of salvation coming to the Jews was for them to be an instrument for salvation to reach the world. And this is for all of us. God saves us not so that we can just revel in the salvation for ourselves, but we can be an instrument for his salvation. So we say, I'm saved. And we thank God I'm saved. But then go one step further and say, I am saved to bring salvation to others. I am saved to spread the good news of the kingdom throughout the world. That's our purpose in these last days, in this last hour. So Jesus comes from heaven to earth to seek a bride made up of both Jew and Gentile. And most of us here are Gentiles. We're the Gentile bride. And he's made us one with himself and with the Jewish people, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and 3. Yet when Samson is on his way to get his Gentile bride, he's attacked. What happens? Who is he attacked by? What is he attacked by? He's attacked by this lion. This young lion springs out at him to devour him. And remember how I said before, Scripture tells us to be sober-minded because our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So the enemy wants to devour you when you're about his mission and his purpose of winning the lost. And we see this with Jesus. He is wanting a Gentile bride, and yet he's attacked. And how does Samson overcome the attack? We go back to Samson through the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, the picture here in the Hebrew is the Spirit of God breaks out upon him. It's the idea of a breakthrough, of a splitting. And the Spirit of God comes upon him and he rips into pieces this lion. The attack by the lion reminds us of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. They tried to arrest Jesus and they arrested him and they crucified him and put him to death, and we could think that that's the end of the story. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus turned the greatest attack into the greatest blessing. And what happens when Samson walks past the caucus of the lion that he tore apart by the Spirit of God? One of the things that the Scripture makes clear is Jesus offered himself to the Father by the Spirit. The eternal spirit. You can read about that in Hebrews. Well, what's in the caucus of the lion after Samson rips it to pieces? Do you remember? Honey. Honey. A hive of bees. Or bees make a hive in the dead caucus of the lion. And Samson is able to scrape honey from it. And he's enjoying the sweetness of the honey. And he gives it to his father and mother. Now here I'm just going to make a practical application. When you experience the sweetness of God's salvation, you want to share it. 
and you want to share it especially with your family and with your friends. And this is a picture of the cross because the enemy came like a lion to destroy Jesus, but out of that death came the greatest sweetness there ever is or there ever will be. And it's the sweetness of God's forgiveness. It's the sweetness of God's grace. It's the sweetness of God's salvation. And so out of the eater came something to eat. The eater being the enemies coming to devour Jesus. And out of the eater came something to eat. And out of that, out of the strong came something sweet. And so in this story is the gospel hidden only for those who have illuminated eyes by the Holy Spirit to see. Samson overcame how? By the Holy Spirit. And then we have this uh, riddle he gives, out of the eater something to eat, out of the strong something sweet. In the Hebrew, it has a, a, a rhythm to it. It has three Hebrew words in the first line, three in the second. Meha ochel yatsa ma'acha az yatsa matok. Which, roughly translated, is out of the eater something to eat, out of the strong something sweet. Sweet. <laughs> out of the strong something sweet. Now this is an example for us all. No matter what the attack by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can draw the sweetness of honey from it. No matter what the enemy is bringing at you, no matter how is he, no matter how he's attacking you, if you live in the power of the Holy Spirit and trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can draw the sweetness of honey from every attack of the enemy. You can turn it around by the power of God. And remember, God's word is as sweet as honey. Psalm 119.103 and Psalm 19.10. Again, a beautiful picture of the cross. Like I said before, God turned the lion's attack, the devil's attack, into the sweetest honey. God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And then we apply it to us today. And whatever the attack may come, we can overcome it by the power of the Holy Spirit, and there's honey to be drawn from it. And through the cross, Jesus captured his Gentile bride. Unfortunately, as we keep on reading the story of Samson, we see that even though he was powerful in God and God used him, and there's all these pictures of Christ through his life, he ultimately falls short because what is he doing? He starts sleeping with the enemy. And this brings us to that third safeguard that I mentioned. Then the other ones we're going to go quickly through is surround yourself with the saints. Surround yourself with the saints. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. He started to surround himself with the enemy. He started to surround himself with the Philistines. And then, of course, you know the story about Delilah. And he started to sleep with prostitutes. And he has this downfall. 
In the end, though, he dies gloriously. When I'm saying surround yourself with the saints, saints, I'm not meaning statues, but God's people, like I said before. And here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19 in the message version. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, this is a prayer, and I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus, the saints, the holy ones, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Now, usually we just focus on the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. That's a good thing to focus on, but we forget the way that you would be able to take in with all the saints. You take in the extravagant love of Jesus with all the saints. And so surrounding yourself with God's people while you're reaching the lost helps you to not fall into the pit that the lost are in. Because here's the thing you have to watch out with reaching the lost and those who are dying in sin is they're in a pit and you're reaching down and you're trying to grab them out through the power of the Holy Spirit and pull them out. But if you're not careful, you'll fall into that same pit with them. And so that's why one of the reasons why we need to surround ourselves with the saints. And one of the issues that Samson fell into, bad company corrupts good character, as Paul says. Think of how Samson's life would have been different if he followed God's people, God's holy people, rather than chasing prostitutes and sleeping with the enemy. Well, his eyes would have not been plucked out in the end. And he wouldn't have lost the power of God through the shaving of his head. Fourth safeguard, like I said before, submit to God and to one another. Demon spirits are rebellious, and the devil is rebellious. So when you're submitting to God, you are just taking the carpet from underneath the enemy because the enemy has no power where there's submission to God. And then once you submit to God, then you can resist the devil. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, as it says in James chapter 4, verse 7. But also there's another submission which we often overlook and that is what's said in Ephesians 5:21 and that is submit one to another yes. submit one to another and that means we should uh, have that mutual submission to one another and this goes in a marriage too it's the idea of a biblical marriage is not that the, the man oppresses the wife and you listen to me because I'm the boss of you but rather the idea of a biblical marriage is that there's a submission one to another because Christ lives in both. And so they can listen to one another and submit to one another. And this is what happens in a healthy fellowship. There's a submission one to another, a listening to one another, a yielding to one another. I have found that a lot of the enemy's darkness is exposed when we submit Something that may be happening to us, to others that are more mature in the Lord. And I put out a few questions to help guide people a few weeks ago. 
with regards to wolves, and a lot of people liked what I shared, and they were thankful for it uh, from many different places. But the one person got really angry with me online. I don't know the person personally, but of course, they didn't like the questions. But one of the things that I found is that when certain questions are brought forth, like in the past, someone brought me a question, and it had to, this is a long time ago, and it had to do with, this person is controlling my life. They say that they're discipling me, and because they're discipling me, they control my life, and they won't let me go to the fish and chip shop because uh, I'm, uh, they're in charge of me. And so I have to get permission to go to the fish and chip shop to get fish and chips. Well, this person's a young believer, and because they're a young believer, they do not understand that this is not a right. They think they, in their heart, they just want to follow God. They just want to serve God. They just want to submit to God. And, and so they think that they have to listen to this person. I said, and they brought it to me, I said, that type of behavior is not right. That's not the submission to one another that the Bible talks about. And, and because they brought out of the darkness into the light that situation, we were able to deal it and deal with it and protect the person. And there's lots of those things that go on in the darkness. People don't know about it. You may think it's right, but actually if you bring it out in, into the open, if you submit it, especially to those who are more mature in the Lord, they're able to call it out. And it is a safeguard for you. And this is the type of thing that I'm meaning. The fifth point was seek sanctification. And God wills us to be holy. And so when you desire and you live holy to the Lord, it is a safeguard for you. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, and we're almost finished here. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So a lot of people are praying, Oh God, what is your will? What is your will? And we think of it as something outward. But actually the will of God is having to do with our heart. It's our sanctification and our holiness. And that's one of the things we need to be pursuing with all of our heart. Is that intimacy with the bride. That, that, I mean that intimacy with the bride with her bridegroom. And it comes by having, setting ourselves aside from sin in order to set ourselves set ourself to the Lord, devote ourselves to the Lord. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Sadly, we see that Samson fell into that in his own life, and we have to watch out also in that area. The sixth point was be sober-minded, and this coming from 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Be of sober spirit or have a sober mind. Be on the alert. Verse 8 here. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom... He may devour, seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And the last thing 
is stay close to the shepherd. And I talked about that last week. And I may develop it some more in the weeks to come, but stay close to the shepherd. If you follow these safeguards, then you don't have to be so worried about deception. So consumed with it, you will know that you are on Jesus' track. So let's all stand, and we're going to pray in a second. So the conclusion of the matter is this. You can guard yourself against deception by continually returning to the standard of Scripture and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And you did well for surviving our hottest day of the season. (laughs) So far, huh? All of a sudden, just really turned around the heat. And if you want, you can go to brisbanefire.com, infographics, and the infographic is there, and you can uh, download it and save it to your phone and then use that as a tool throughout the week. That's the goal of this, that you could use it as a tool and be blessed by it. Hallelujah. And I'm going to invite up Anna, Anna, if you can come and play. And soon we're going to come around the communion table. So, Father, we want to thank you that you have not left us to our own wisdom. You have not left us to our own devices. You haven't left us to our own struggles to figure out, is this true or is this false? But you've clearly, you've clearly laid it out in your scripture, in your written word, and you've, you've given us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to guide us into all the truth. And Father, I want to pray for each one here that you would affirm to their hearts and minds that if they are saved, they have the Holy Spirit living within them. Father, let us not quench your spirit that lives in us. Forgive me for the times I have grieved your spirit, that I've went against your spirit. Forgive us, Father, for the times where we have gone to the left or the right and we have drifted from your straight and narrow way. And help each one of us to get back onto that way. We don't need any secret teaching that's out there. Any Gnostic type of thing. Oh, no one knows about this, but I know about it. If you know about it, you're going to be free and protected. No, it's all laid out here. Right in your word. Tested, tried, and proven. And you've given us your Holy Spirit to illuminate your word and to guide us into all truth. And we're looking forward to the day when there's a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands and they're crying with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Lord, we want to be a part of drawing in that bride, that great multitude from every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues. This gospel of the kingdom 
will be preached in all nations and then the end will come. Again, Father, remind us of that great glorious task that you have us on. And deliver us from all distractions and deception. Thank you, Jesus. We're just about to come around the communion table, but in your heart, if, there's, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you of anything, if the Holy Spirit is, yeah, convicting you of anything, this is a time to repent and prepare ourselves before we come to the table of the Lord. Of course, when you come to the table,